You are listening to the Grace Covenant Church Audio Podcast. You would take your Bibles, you can look with me at the Gospel of Mark, that's where we're at this morning. All four of the Gospels have an account of the resurrection, but we want to look to Mark's account Matthew, Mark, Mark chapter 16, and actually the sermon notes are on the back of the bulletin, so something a little different this morning. So if you'd like to follow along, um, you can just flip the bulletin over, and and, uh, there's some blanks there that you can fill in. But as the ushers are uh, receiving the offering, let me begin with a story. There's uh, three friends, three men who were a part of a local congregation. They were having a conversation. In the midst of their conversation, someone came up and said, hey, uh, when you're in your casket and your friends and the congregation members are, are, are passing by in the receiving line, what would you like for them to say about you? And you're in the casket, life's over. What would you like to, kind of their, their words to be about your life? Well, Artie, Artie was the first to speak up. Artie said, well, I would like them to say I was a wonderful husband, a, a fine spiritual leader, and a family man. And there was... Then Merle, Merle said, I would, I would like them to say I was a wonderful Christian teacher, a servant of God, and I was a man who made a difference with my life. Pretty good. Don said, I would like them to say, look, he's moving. <laughs> and that's what happened on the first Easter, right? They thought Jesus was dead. On that first Easter, he arose. He got up out of the grave, defeating death, hell, and the grave, granting for us today, what, life. You know, we're here this morning to celebrate the greatest victory in the history of humanity. Now, down through history, there's been thousands of battles fought on the battlefield, some of them being really turning points maybe for a nation or a group of nations. But there's no uh, victory that's been as significant for humanity as that of Jesus' death and his resurrection to life. Not of the reality of Jesus defeating death, hell, and the grave. If I could only choose one word out of all the vocabulary, out of all the words in the dictionary, if I could only choose one word this morning to uh, give definition to the resurrection, I would choose this word, victory. I think that says it all. What does Easter Sunday mean for us? What does this day mean for us? What does it mean for humanity? What does it mean for Christianity? I'm convinced it means victory. Today, what are we celebrating? We're celebrating the fact that love won. On that first Easter Sunday, love won as death was defeated. And we today, we today are benefactors of the fact that love won. Isn't that good news? And that's what we're celebrating. Any of you been watching any of the... uh, the college basketball that's been happening. Anybody a sports fanatic besides myself? I love March Madness. You know, usually, um, usually it, Easter happens in April, um, but now you know this year it's happening in March. So you, we have March Madness, this NCAA tournament going on in Easter, all in the same month. I mean, like how, it can it can't get any better than that, right? Well, here, at, here among our staff, we have um, a little friendly competition, and whoever wins, we, we make our picks as to who's going to win this NCAA tournament. We make our picks, and whoever wins gets to go to this really nice restaurant and have dinner. Um, so we all made our picks. I did all of my studying. I kind of read about each team, and I made my picks. And uh, to be truthful, I'm not doing so well. Uh, I'm about fifth or sixth. Um, I'm about 86% in my picks. 
But the good news is, is my team's still in, and some of the folks who are ahead of me, their team's out. That means they're going to lose and I'm going to win because um, my team's still in. But, but I love this, this whole season of competition, you know, college basketball, 64 teams, the top 64 teams in the tournament. And this is what I can guarantee you. There's not a team in the tournament who showed up just, thinking, showed up just to say, hey, we're, we, we're going we're to lose. No, every team of all 64, they showed up to win. Now, now the sad reality is, is not everyone wins. Matter of fact, by the time it's all over today, there's going to be four teams left. 64 began, four teams left. A week from Monday, there's going to be one team left. Out of the 64, 63 of the teams are going to go home defeated. Losers, if you'd like to say it like that. One team... It's going to be victorious. One team's going to be triumphant. I was thinking about that even last night as I was watching a couple of the games. I was thinking about that and I thought, you know, the good news for us is that when Jesus won, it was not just about Jesus winning, but when Jesus won, we all won. In other words, it was not like Jesus won and everybody else is losers. No, when Jesus was triumphant, when he got up out of the grave... What does it mean? It means for us, and we have victory. It means for us well, that love, that love won. You know, beyond the, beyond the story of the resurrection, probably my next all-time favorite story of love winning is the story of Team Hoyt. Maybe you've heard the story before or seen the pictures, but I wanted to, I want to just quickly recount the story for you because I think it's an amazing, an amazing story of love winning. It, it all began back in 1962. In 1962, uh, Rick was born to Dick and Judy Hoyt. As a result of oxygen de- deprivation to Rick's brain at the time of his birth, Rick was diagnosed as a spastic quadriplegic with cerebral palsy. Now, Dick and, and Judy, the, the mom and dad, were, were towed by the professionals that they should institutionalize their son. They said, your son, because of, of this, he's going to be disabled all his life. He'll never be able to relate. He'll never be able to connect. He'll never really be able to function in society. So we suggest that you institutionalize him. Well, Dick and, and Judy would have, would have nothing to do with it. They were convinced that their son, even with his disabilities, could embrace a normal life. So they began investing in his life. In 1975, at the age of 13, Rick was finally admitted into public school. After high school, Rick attended Boston University, graduated with a degree in special education in 1993. And then his, his father, Dick, retired in 1995 as a lieutenant colonel from the Air National Guard after serving our country for 37 years. But but here's what's special about this story and about this team, this father-son team. 1977, Rick, the disabled son, told his father that he wanted to participate in a five-mile benefit race. There was a lacrosse player who had been injured uh, as a result of an accident. He was paralyzed, so there's this benefit race. Now, here is the father... Here's the father, Dick, who's on up in years. He's not real proficient as a runner, but his son, his son, Rick, wants to run in this race. Well, he thought, you know, five miles, I could make five miles. So he gets his son in a wheelchair. They show up at the competition. They do the five-mile race. They finish the race. They, they were next to last. They were not last, but they were next to last, but they finished the race. 
It was a statement that the disabled son that that Rick made to his dad on this day that was the game changer. This is what his son said. Dad, when I'm running, it feels like I'm not handicapped. When I'm running, it feels like I'm not handicapped. Well, obviously that captured that captured the heart of the father. It captured it captured Dick's heart. This realization was just the beginning of, of what would become over 1,000 races this father-son team, this duo, has completed, including marathons, duathlons, triathlons, six of them being Ironman competitions. Also adding to their list of achievements, Dick and Rick biked and ran across the United States in 1992, a full 3,735 miles in just 45 days. Isn't it amazing? This is a picture here of father, son, the multiple competitions. They thought it would all be over, that they would run their last race. The favorite race for Rick, he would say his favorite race is the Boston Marathon. 2013, they were entered in the race. They were actually running the Boston Marathon. But if you remember what happened in 2013, there was the bombing. They, they were not able to finish the race. They wanted to finish strong. So they went back in 2014, and they... Uh, entered into the Boston Marathon, uh, ran it, finished strong. But as I was thinking about this story, I, I, was, I was pressed with this question in my own mind. What would cause a dad to want to do this? What, what would cause a dad to go to this level of, of commitment, this level of, of exhaustion? From my perspective, like an Ironman competition is this level of pain, right? If I was doing it, it would be like pain. What would cause a dad to do? What would motivate a dad to such extremes that he would do that for his disabled son? The answer to that question is this, love. See, for the Hoyt team, love wins. It's the love of a father that motivated him to engage in that level of competition for the sake of his son. As I was thinking about that story, listen, that's exactly what God has done for you and I. Because of his love for us, he came to our rescue. Listen, I don't know if you figured this out, figured this out yet or not, but every one of us are disabled. Every one of us are disabled. Our lives have been wrecked by sin. That is a reality. And God, understanding the, the, the presence of our disability, the presence of the sin in our lives, sent his son into our world to die that we might be rescued. Well, it's a statement of love winning. If the resurrection says anything to us today, folks, it's this. Love has won. Death has been defeated. The grave has been denied. And what does it mean for us today? It means life. You know, on Friday night... Good Friday night, it appeared as if evil were the master of life as Jesus was placed in the tomb, but victory was on the way. On Sunday morning, love won as Jesus rose victorious. Mark, in his writing, records this history-changing event for us. Would you read with me from Mark chapter 16? Let's begin with verse 1. When the Sabbath was over... Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Siloam brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? 
Not just like a small detail, right? I mean, here's a group of women, and they go, oh, oh my goodness, we have a problem. Like, how are we going to get in the tomb? And notice the scripture goes on to say, verse 4, But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man, being an angel, dressed in a white robe, sitting at the right side. And they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Notice verse 7. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So here we have a group of ladies who are going to the tomb to honor Jesus. They've gathered all the necessary spices, the embalming um, ingredients so that they can go and honor Jesus in his death. And I think probably as they're on their way, this is a bit of assumption on my part, but I think they're talking about the events of the previous days. Jesus' arrest, his crucifixion, the whole process. I think they were probably talking about um, the deep grief that they were feeling, the loss that they were experiencing and as they come to the tomb, they see the stone rolled away. And as they enter the tomb, they did not find Jesus' body. Actually, they were greeted by this angelic being that brought them the great news of the resurrection. So they went expecting death, but they discovered life. They went expecting to find the mangled, bruised body of Jesus as a result of the crucifixion. But what they discovered was resurrection. What they discovered was this, that love one, that love had defeated that of death, hell, and the grave. What appeared to be total loss was actually turned to gain. I mean, think about this. Here's the disciples, a group of men who had left everything to follow Jesus. I mean, talking about being committed, devoted followers. They'd left everything thinking that Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman rule. He was going to establish a kingdom and they would be a part of that kingdom. And now the king is dead. I mean, you know can't have a kingdom if you don't have a king. What it appeared as to the disciples, it appeared to be like total loss. And here's the good news as we find here in this story as recorded in Mark 16. What appeared to be a total loss was actually turned to gain. Again, the resurrection proclaims this, love wins. What appeared to be the end was actually the beginning. You know, death is kind of like a point of finality. Right? When someone dies, we would say it's over, right? Come on, this is not 7 o'clock in the morning. This is like the fourth service. Like you're supposed to have had extra sleep and breakfast and all of that. Death really does have a point of finality. I mean, it's like when someone dies, it's like their life has come to an end. It's over. It's done. It's completed. It's finished. So Jesus' death appeared to be the end. When Jesus' disciples left Mount Calvary, the place of crucifixion, I really believe they thought it was over. I mean, from all the signs, I mean, they saw it with their own eyes. They gave witness to the fact, the reality that Jesus was dead. What appeared to be the end, though, because of the resurrection, actually became the beginning. See, this whole process of Jesus being crucified being placed in a tomb, being resurrected on the third day was all a part of God's plan. 
What the disciples thought was the end through the resurrection actually became the beginning. What appeared to be defeat was, was actually turned to victory. I mean, if you had been there when Jesus was crucified, if you had been in like an innocent bystander watching this whole thing play out, you would have thought the Roman soldiers won. I mean, there's Jesus. He's on the cross. We heard him say, it is finished. We saw him, his head drop. We saw life go out of him. The Roman soldiers won. And Jesus on the cross, they won. Or if you knew a little more of the backstory, you, you might you might have watched this whole thing happen thinking, wow, the religious leaders won. I mean, Jesus kind of, you know, he was heavy on the religious leaders. He called them hypocrites. They didn't like being called hypocrites. And there was this whole envy thing playing out. And they thought, we got to get rid of this man. And if you watched it happen, you would have seen Jesus on the cross. And you maybe thought, wow, Jesus lost. The religious leaders won. I mean, life has gone, gone out of him. But what, what appeared to be defeat was actually turned to victory. Why? Because Jesus got up on the third day. Again, the statement of resurrection is this. Love, love wins. Love won. Now, this whole process of the crucifixion and resurrection um, is a historical fact. I mean, it happened just as it's defined in the Bible. The question, I think, for each of us this morning is, what does it mean What does it mean for us personally? What does it mean for you? What does the resurrection today mean for you in your life, where you're at? I I think today it it means these three things. They're there in the notes this morning. The first is this. The resurrection of Jesus means that, that victory is possible in the failures of our lives. Is that not good news? Isn't that great news? Why? Because we fail. Now, now, none of us would set out to say, hey, I just want to be a failure. In my life, I just want to be a failure. Now, none of us would do that. However, the reality is, because of our humanity, what, we, we fail. We make mistakes. We drop the ball. We don't, always, we don't always get it right. And the good news this morning of the resurrection is that there's hope beyond the failures of our lives. Because what, you, from time to time we make poor decisions that cause us trouble, right? From time to time we break promises to others that brings injury. From, from time to time we can be driven by emotions. We can act irrationally, irresponsibly. What, here's the reality. We fail, and we fail because of our humanity, But here's the good news today. I think this is what the resurrection tells us this morning. Listen, your failure doesn't have to define you. In other words, it doesn't have to have the final word. The defining statement of your life doesn't have to be he failed or she failed. The good news is because of the resurrection, there's hope beyond the failures of our lives. We see that illustrated in the life of of Peter. Peter, if you don't know much about Peter, Peter was one of Jesus' disciples. Actually, he was one of uh, his close associates. I mean, there was, there was the 70, there was the 12, and then there was the three, Pete, James, and John. And out of the three, it would seem that Peter had this unique relationship with Jesus, a close relationship, almost like a, a kinship. I mean, they were tight. They were close. 
And interesting, just before going to the cross, Jesus says this to Peter. He says, Peter, uh, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. And Peter says, oh, Jesus, not me. And this is Pete you're talking to, not me. I mean, maybe the other guys, but not me. You and I, we're close. We're thick. I've got your back. I would never deny you. Matter of fact, I would die for you before I would deny you. Fast forward, Jesus has been arrested. Peter's in the courtyard. He's confronted. He's questioned about Jesus. And not once, not twice, but three times, Peter says, I I don't know that man. I don't know who he is. I don't want to be associated with him. Basically, he denied Christ three times. The rooster crows. And the scripture says, at that point, Peter realized his failure, and he went out and wept bitterly. Now, I don't know how you kind of weigh out failure as to what's a you know a small failure, here's a medium-sized failure, here's a big failure, and then here's a mega failure. I don't know how you weigh that out, but in my assessment, Peter just had like a mega failure. I mean, he denied Christ three times, went out weeping bitterly. And and this is what I I believe. I believe that Peter thought it was like overfinished, that there was not hope beyond his failure. Like, how could he ever, how could he ever have right relationship with Jesus again when at, at, at the time of greatest need he denied Christ? That's why I love this resurrection story as recorded by Mark. Look back to verse 7 and notice what the angel says. And if you have your own Bible, you might want to underline this because I think it's really interesting that the angel says to the ladies, go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. So let me ask you a question. Was not Peter one of the disciples? Okay, the answer is yes. Okay, I'm going to ask you again. Was not Peter one of the disciples? Absolutely. So why would the angel say, go tell the disciples? And Peter, why why didn't he just say, hey, go tell the disciples? But he was so specific. Go tell the disciples and Peter. This is what I believe. I believe that the emphasis was drawn to Peter because Peter thought that his failure, his denial, his mistake, his screw up separated him from God, eliminated him from the possibility of relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's the good news for Peter, and it's good news for everyone in the room today as well, is this. The resurrection means that there's grace that's greater than your failure. The resurrection means this, that your failure, whatever it is, that your failure does not have to be the defining statement, the defining label of your life. The resurrection means what? It means we can have restarts, new beginnings, slate wiped clean. That's the promise of the resurrection. For you see, second chances aren't earned. They're freely given because of the grace that's available to us through Jesus Christ. So I don't know what your failure or failures might have been or what, like, maybe you're like Peter this morning. You say, hey, I've got this big, I've got this mega failure in my life. 
I don't know what it is, but this is what I do know. I know that God's grace is greater than, greater than your failure. And see that, that's the promise of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection, we can have victory in the, in the failures of our life. Not only that, because of the resurrection, victory is viable in the impossibilities, the impossibilities of life. How many of you know at times we can get overwhelmed by seemingly impossible situations? Isn't that true? I mean, we come up against something and it's like this huge mountain. It's like, wow, we can't get over it. We can't get around it. We have this situation and we feel overwhelmed by the situation. Why? Because the situation is so big and we oftentimes label the situation impossible. It comes to us in a lot of different forms, a lot of different packages, Possibly your impossibility is loss of employment with mounting financial pressures. You're looking at something saying, wow, that looks impossible. Maybe it's a medical health situation. Maybe it's a health situation and the prognosis is not good. Maybe that's your place of, of impossibility. Maybe it's a relationship that, that you would say today, wow, it's wrecked beyond beyond the potential of being reconciled. Maybe that's your impossibility. Maybe your impossibility is infertility. A desire to conceive but not being able to conceive. I mean, again, it comes in a lot of different forms, a lot of different ways. But oftentimes we come to situations that we would say impossible. And let me tell you why why we do that. Because, Because of our humanity, we're limited, right? I mean, that's the reality. Because of our humanity, we are limited in our lives. Therefore, we come to situations and we say, wow, impossible. But here's the good news. Though we would be limited, God is unlimited. Though we would be restricted because of our humanity, God is unrestricted. Though we would come to situations, we would say, wow, that's impossible. Listen, impossible is not even a word in God's vocabulary. What is the resurrection provide for us today. What does it what does it tell us today? It tells us that victory is viable. Listen, listen, even in the impossibilities of life. The empty tomb proclaims that nothing, nothing is beyond God's ability. The God who turned death to life can turn your impossibility into a place of possibility. Listen, if Jesus if excuse me, if God raised Jesus from the dead and he did, then there's no situation you have in your life that's too big for God. As a, if he can bring Jesus out of the grave, then whatever you're facing today that you would be saying impossible is small stuff to God. He's the God of possibility. We see that proved out in, in the resurrection. It's interesting. Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 verse, verse 18 and 19 talks about how the power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us today. It's available to those who are believing. Remember, the the power that raised Jesus up is a power that can work on your behalf. Look at this verse, Ephesians 1, 19 and 20. It says, His incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of His mighty strength, which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms. So incomparably great power. In other words, it's greater than anything you can comprehend. You have nothing that can compare to it. His power is greater than what your mind can understand. That's what Paul is saying. Notice what he says. That power is available to who? To those who believe. 
So what? Available to us. So the very power that, that raised Jesus from the dead is available to anyone and everyone who would believe that impossible situations might be made possible. Oh, it's all available because of the resurrection. Listen, I have given personal witness to, I've seen with my own eyes, situations where there was relationships that were wrecked and it would seem like beyond um, the possibility of reconciliation, yet by the power of God, relationships being restored. And I've seen situations, given witness to situations, where the medical communities basically said, we have no answer. Yet to see God turn around. Matter of fact, in our 7 o'clock service this morning, we had a gentleman who was here having breakfast, a part of the 7 o'clock service, who just a few weeks ago, um, he, a few weeks ago he got out of the hospital. He actually spent 30 plus days in the hospital, many of those days in ICU. The doctors basically threw up their hands and said, we don't know what to do. We don't know what the situation is. He's progressively getting worse. More than one time the doctors called the family in like, we don't know if he's going to make it. I mean, we're talking that serious. Yet today, this morning, he was here at 7 o'clock having breakfast. And when I saw him, I said, hey, God, you are a living testimony to the power of the resurrection. And that God turned your situation around. Listen, that's the God we serve. And that is the potential of the resurrection. Listen, I have seen and give witness to the doctors making statements to young couples like, you'll never conceive, there'll never be life in your womb because of the issue of infertility, only to have the privilege of dedicating the very child they gave birth to. And that's the God we serve. And it's, it's available, His power available, again, to us because of the resurrection. So I don't know what your impossibility might be this morning. I don't know what mountain you might be facing because I understand the limitations of our humanity. Oftentimes we get overwhelmed by these situations. And whatever your situation is this morning, I would tell you this. Don't give up. Don't give up on a God who is able. Continue to contend. Continue to believe. Why? Because of the provision of the resurrection. It opens the way that your place of impossibility can become a place of possibility. And one of the things I've discovered is God does His best work in situations that we call impossible. There's a power of the resurrection. Thirdly, this morning, because of the resurrection, victory is available at the end of our lives, at the end of your life. Now, none of us. None of us like to think about or talk about death or dying. It's not a, it's not a pleasant topic. Um, you, know, I, you wouldn't go up to someone and say, hey, hey, Brian, how you doing? Have you thought about dying lately? <laughs> Want to kill a conversation like before it ever gets started? That's the way you do it. Well, we, we don't like to think about death. We don't like to think about dying. Again, not, not happy thoughts. Yet here's the reality for everyone in the room today, you have an expiration date. I don't know what it. I don't know when it is. Hey, you don't know when it is, but this is what I know. One of these days, you're going to die, because we all do. Matter of fact, I, I've said this before, but it's true. The statistics are in. It's pretty amazing. One hundred percent of people die. One hundred percent. So what does that mean? It means this: one day. One day your heart's going to stop beating. And that's going to be the end of your physical body and your time on this earth. But it's not going to be the end of you because a part of you that's the real you is going to live on forever. 
the question is, is where will you spend forever? Where will you spend eternity? The answer to that question hinges on this. What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? If you reject Jesus Christ and you reject His provision, then you're going to spend eternity separated from God. Scripture is very clear about this. On the other hand, if you believe and receive, then you're going to spend like eternity with God in heaven. You're going to have abundant life in this present reality, and then you're going to have eternal life. One of these days you're going to die and you're going to graduate to heaven. One of these days you're going to die and individuals are going to be able to gather and celebrate. Why? Because you've made a transition to a better place. You have abundant life and eternal life available when? When we, ex- when we believe and we receive. But we have life. The resurrection means what? We, we have life available to us. When, when Jesus died on the cross, basically this is what He did. He took all of your garbage upon Himself. He took the garbage of the world upon Himself. He took our garbage and He gave us His righteousness. How many of you know we got the better end of the deal? He took your junk, He took your mess upon Himself and He gave or He made available for you His right, that you might be right with God. That's what we have through the cross and the empty tomb. That we could have victory in our lives and victory when we come to the end of our lives. Matter of fact, Jesus said it like this. John chapter 11, verse 25 and 26. Listen to what Jesus said. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Notice, for the one who believes, what going to live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And victory is available at the end of life, but experience the victory. You have to believe that Jesus was the Son of God who came and died on a cross, resurrected on the third. You have to believe and receive His gift of salvation, His, His gift of grace, His grace for you. You know, there's a story of a man who, who dies and goes to heaven. St. Peter meets him at the pearly gates and says, Hey, here's how it works in heaven. You need 100 points to get in. 100 points to get into heaven. He says, You tell me what you did, what you lived your life on the earth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give that a point value. And when you get to 100 points, you get into heaven. The man said, Okay, sounds good. So, well, first I, I was... I was married to my wife for 50 years. 50 years I was faithful, never cheated on her, loved her deeply. 50 years. Peter says, hey, that's good. It's worth two points. I mean, it's just two points. I said, yeah, two points. He said, well, I, I, I went to church all my life. As I, as I was in my adult years, I served on numerous church boards. I supported the church financially, the ministries of the church. My whole life. St. Peter says, oh, that's great. That's worth one point. He said, what? One point? Yeah, one point. Did you do anything else? He says, well, I, I, I served in a, in a soup kitchen serving those who um, 
you know, were hungry. And I, I even once a month, I, I served at the, the shelter for veterans who were homeless. I would go and serve the veterans. People say, hey, that's, that, that's great. That's worth two points. He said, two points? Exasperated, the man cries. At this rate, the only way I'll get into heaven is by the grace of God. Peter says, bingo, come on in. <laughs> by the grace of God. It's not by your works. It's not by your worth. It's only by the grace of God. See, the resurrection, Christ's death and His resurrection to life means what? It means love wins. It means life is available. But you have to, listen, friends, you have to believe and receive. And maybe you're here today and you just, you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm not worthy. Can I tell you something? You're absolutely right. You're not worthy. Neither am I. See, to believe and receive, to receive salvation is not about what you can do. It's about what God has done. Maybe you're thinking, well, I, I don't know if I'm, I'm ready. And I, I would ask you this morning, what are you waiting on? Why not prepare for that which you know you cannot and will not avoid? As I said earlier, the statistics are in 100% of people die. No man, no woman's ready to live until they're ready to die. So why not make preparation? Why not receive life abundant in this present reality? And have the assurance of life eternal. The great news of the resurrection for us today is that God acted on our behalf doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. And, he's, and He has this gift, and it's called the gift of acceptance, or maybe we could call it the gift of salvation. All we have to do is believe and receive. He came to die that we might live. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Lord, I thank you today for your rescue of our lives. God, I thank you that on Easter, love won. A life given. Hope issued. A way made, Lord, that we failure-prone humans might be able to live in a relationship with you. And we thank you that love did win, bringing life for each of us. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.